Episode 180 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you in part by cloud accounting software FreshBooks, where you can try their software free for 30 days when you go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. you really want something, why are you not doing it right now? Because right now is all you have. If you say tomorrow, tomorrow never comes. Now is the only time you have. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now, here's Jeff. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. It's dedicated to helping you grow personally and professionally. We dig into business and leadership, of course, personal growth, entrepreneurship, sales, marketing, career, productivity, and more. Today, you and I get to sit down with a young man named Sean McCabe. He is the author of a book called Overlap, Start a Business While Working a Full-Time Job. Among other things, I'll be asking Sean to share his advice for identifying your true passion, why you shouldn't wait for motivation, his method for developing focused time, and lots more. If you've ever desired to start your own business, you may have toyed with the idea of saving up some money, quitting your job, and then going all in. But with Overlap, Sean says there's a better way. Yes, you can grow a business in the margins of life, even if there are things like small children, say, in the mix for you. And before I wrap things up today, I'll be sharing with you how you can snag your very own free copy of the audiobook version of Overlap for a limited time. It may go without saying that starting your own business requires you doing a lot of things, at least early on, on your own. And one of those things, of course, is tracking income and expenses. And one of the best ways I've found to do that is with cloud accounting software, FreshBooks. If you don't want to download software, if you want to use something that just works, that's simple and easy to use, then FreshBooks has what you need. From your dashboard, you can see all your invoices, you can make estimates, you can track your clients, your expenses, projects you're working on, even track your time. I know of no better solution that exists right now, but don't take my word for it. Use it yourself for up to 30 days, absolutely free. Check out all that FreshBooks has to offer with absolutely no obligation. Just go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. One more time, that's simply freshbooks.com slash read to lead to check out FreshBooks free for 30 days. Sean McCabe has launched a number of different ventures in his, I believe, less than three decades on the planet, including a computer repair business, web design firm, and He's even worked as an artist, successfully selling out of his designs on T-shirts and other products numerous times. He now runs a brand called Sean West, and it's at his website, seanwest.com, that he shares his expertise in business through his blog, podcasts, uh, and there are a number of them, uh, courses, products, and a member community. And Sean is also the author, uh, fortunately for us, of a brand new book called Overlap, Start a Business While Working a full-time job. Sean, welcome officially to the Read to Lead podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. I'm glad to be here. Well, there are some similarities uh, in our journeys uh, to a degree, though. Uh, your success trajectory has outperformed mine uh, just a little bit, but I, too, have have had success with launching 
uh, you know, a side hustle while working a full-time job. And then three years into that, uh, losing that full-time job and having to immediately depend on that, that side hustle for the first, you know, for the next several months. And so I, I can certainly vouch uh, for this process, I guess, is ultimately what I'm trying to say is, you know, do it before you need it. Yeah, I, I've found that a lot of people, I mean, at least I tend to know people who have quit their job. You know, we hear messages like pursue your passion and do mm-hmm. what you love. And we, we end up feeling inspired, but also left wondering, what do I do next? And, and some people go all out and they actually take the leap and quit the job. Um, but then it doesn't pan out. It doesn't go how they hope. And they've got to put food on the table and they end up going back to the day job, but this time with a story that they tried and failed and it didn't work out. And sometimes they end up killing the passion they have completely. And that's really what I wanted to help people avoid. Well, let's back up for a second. Let, let me let me get to, uh, to a bit of your origin story. I hinted at some of this a moment ago, some of the things you've done. But I'm curious if you would be willing, Sean, to share your journey from practicing this craft of hand lettering that you didn't even know was a craft when you first started doing it, like a legitimate craft, to realizing that you you wanted to help open people's eyes to, to making a living just doing what they love. Yeah, I did not know there was such a thing as typography when I was in middle school, drawing letters and doodling on my homework. Uh, and, and, you know, eventually working other jobs as a window cleaner, uh, landscaping, repairing computers, building websites. It wasn't until I was at the web firm that I met uh, uh, another designer online and he happened to be visiting San Antonio where I live and we got coffee and he was a hand lettering artist. He drew letters, beautiful letters by hand and I very much was inspired by his work. And he he basically said, you know, if you like drawing letters, just do it because you like doing it. Just create. And it's kind of silly looking back, you know, seeing that it was as if he gave me permission. Mm. And I I don't know why I, I needed that. But for some reason, I had this idea in my mind that if I was going to do anything, it needed to be financially viable. And in my mind, there was no way I was going to make a living from something as random as hand lettering. Although that did end up happening much later. Yeah, you, you kind of practiced this this art in public for a little while, uh, didn't you? With with little to show for it, other than just showing friends and, and and those following your work. But then, but then there was sort of an inflection point, or a couple of years in, right? That's true. I was creating on the side, so I had the day job covering the bills, and in my nights and weekends, I drew letters. Once I had permission (laughs) from this peer, I I started creating, and I was also sharing this work online on social media and my portfolio, and no one really noticed, even though I was creating every single day. It wasn't until I showed up every day for two years that it was as if a light bulb came on. Suddenly, people started to notice I think it was also that I I began only sharing this hand lettering work, even though I was doing all kinds of work behind the scenes at the day job. I was doing user interface design, illustration, animation, screen flows, icon design, and I used to just project it all. Mm-hmm. I would share anything and everything I made and anything and everything I was thinking about. And as a result, No one could really figure me out because I just shared so many different things. And as a result of sharing everything, I was essentially known for nothing. (laughs) But at at one point, I decided I want to be known as a lettering artist. 
And so even though I was doing a bunch of different kinds of work, I started sharing just the lettering. And I simplified what I was about enough for other people to get it. Oh, he's he's that lettering guy. Hmm. And it was right around that time, also, you know, having showed up for about two years that people really started noticing and they started asking if I could do a custom commission for them or if there was anywhere to buy prints and t-shirts of my designs. And then that led to people ultimately, as you had success with that, uh, wanting to know how they could do that kind of thing too, whether it was hand lettering or whether it was just, uh, you know, some other business. Yeah, that was the really the elephant in the room. And I, I was making good money working with clients. I eventually transitioned out of the day job and started doing client work and freelancing full time, started shipping physical products, T-shirts and mugs and prints and things like that and making great money, but <laughs> not really realizing that most of my audience wanted to learn how to do what I did and I hadn't been giving them anything at all. And so I, I put up this guide on my website. This is before I knew about anything like email lists and marketing. I just put up a page on my website with the introductory 10 step guide. And over the course of the next year, I looked at my analytics and uh, about 200,000 people read that guide mm. and very clearly indicating there was interest here. And what I saw was room to go deeper, given that I, I had a lot of experience with working with clients in the past, you know, things like design contracts and licensing and client communication and pricing and all this stuff that artists didn't really know. It wasn't mm. stuff that they learned along the way, even though I realized this is critical. You have to know how to do this stuff if you want to make it as an artist, if you want this to be a career. And so I put together this online course. And unlike a lot of courses that were out there that taught people how to draw, my course uh, that was called Learn Lettering, it taught people how to draw, but it also taught them the business side of art. And that's really what made it unique. That's what mm. kind of made it stand out. And, uh, you know, during these six months that I took off to produce this course, I was just learning everything I could about marketing and applied that to the launch. And it ended up making six figures in the first three days. And the second time you did it, I think it was what, six figures in like 26 hours or something like that, right? Yeah. yeah. The yeah. second <laughs> second launch was uh, even better. Well, you know, something you said earlier, uh, about, I wanted to hit on here for just a second, the, the importance of, of, of drilling down to a singular topic that you share on that you that you project online I, I cannot stress how important that is that's one of the key topics and, and points of the book obviously something I learned years ago as, as a broadcaster and as a communicator if you want people to remember one thing tell them one thing if you want them to remember nothing tell them two things <laughs> so, it's so hard though it really is it, it really is and so to that what would what advice would you give to somebody who says, you know, I have all these passions, Sean, I'm I just not quite sure how to begin narrowing it down to just one thing? Well, I like to tell a, a little story. Imagine that you're standing on the beach at sunset and it's starting to cool. You can feel the sand between your toes. And there are five fire pits on this beach, each representing one of your many passions. Mm -hmm. And what a lot of us do is we, we run between each of the fires trying to stoke the embers and nothing really gets more than, it doesn't grow more than a few warm coals. Mm. And it, it doesn't provide us warmth or sustenance. It doesn't provide us light. It doesn't attract anyone around us. And 
what we have to, is a job and something we have to rush between just to keep alive. And, and it's all because we're trying to build multiple things at once. It's not to say you can never be known for more than one thing, because once you tell people that, they say, what about so-and-so? They are known for three things or four things. And while that's true, they almost never built each one. Uh, they never, almost never built them all at the same time. Mm. They really did each one at a time. And so if you were instead to focus on one of these fire pits and build it up to bonfire status, number one, you have warmth, you have light, and it's something people can see from miles around. So they, they're starting to be attracted to what you're about. And they come in for this one bonfire. And that fire allows you to much more easily start the second fire. Now you have an audience. And you have people who will follow you to the next thing. And as you go, next thing you know, you have multiple bonfires or multiple assets that continue to serve you. They no longer require your time and energy to sustain. But the, the difficult thing is thinking... I have all of these passions. I don't know which one to pick, which one is the right thing. But really, it doesn't matter because, you know, you look at the rest of your life coming up. If you imagine your life like a, a, a video, a YouTube video with the playhead, you know, the little red dot along the timeline that on the left is where you're born and on the right is where you'll die. And in the time you have left, there's almost certainly going to be more than just one season. You know, you look back on your life and everything that has led up to this point, and you'll find that the many things you did in the past, the different jobs, the different projects and people you worked with have provided you with skills that you take with you that you still use to this day. I'm sure you could speak to some examples of this, Jeff, where it's the, maybe the wrong thing. If you imagine wrong being in air quotes, mm -hmm. the wrong thing gave you skills that you ended up using in the future in ways you couldn't have predicted. Oh, that, that, that's very, very true. I mean, I think of, of that side hustle I developed that I talked about a moment ago, uh, three years before I knew I was going to lose my last real job. And, and when I dove into that head first uh, upon losing that job, I knew then it wasn't the thing that I wanted to do long term. I knew then it wasn't the, the right long term thing, but I knew it was the right right now thing. And so I, I kept at that until... Uh, other opportunities uh, began presenting themselves and people began, as you talk about in the book, approaching me for help with things that I didn't really even sense or realize that I was as qualified as I was to help people with those things until they started asking for those things. So that's when I made that that shift from this the, the then side hustle to this new new thoughts about different streams of income in a completely different area. Isn't that cool how you focus on one thing and gradually people come to think of you and they think of this thing that you curate or focus on or project. But after you do that for an extended period of time, eventually this thing that you're curating, and I'm using that word to mean selectively projecting a single focused thing, mm. eventually they encounter that thing in the real world. You're not even there. It could be on a social media post. It could be in a magazine. It could be on a, a show, they encounter this thing that you curate and you focus on and immediately you pop into their mind because mm -hmm. you're so clear on this thing. Every instance of whatever you're focusing on becomes an advertisement for you in the world. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love I love the way you frame that. Uh, well, so we've got, uh, let's say, you know, a full time or a day job uh, peacefully coexisting with with a side hustle. Uh, share your feelings on a person's day job feeding into 
their passion. Can there or should there be crossover between the two? Well, the idea with overlap is that the day job is your foundation. The day job is a functional piece to this puzzle because you've really got two options. If you want to start your own business, you want to do your own thing, you can quit the day job and just try it and and hope that it works out. And and some people make it. Um, But some people also win the lottery. I don't necessarily think that buying lottery (laughs) tickets is a winning strategy. Uh, I'm just more practical than that. And, you know, some of us have families to support and we can't just be taking these big risks, you know, depending on where we are in our lives. We need something a little more practical. And so overlap starts with the day job as a functional piece to the puzzle. The day job's purpose is to cover 100% of your bills, all of the bills, everything you need to pay your expenses every month. And it's supposed to be a foundation for building your passion on the side. Now, if you think of your your passion as a, a tree, let's think of like an oak tree, for instance, you could lean against an old oak tree, you know, it's solid, it's been there for decades, and it can easily support you. But that's like a business that has been around for a really long time. When you've just started something, it's more like a young sapling. Mm. And if you finish your day, you're tired, you come home from the day job and you want to lean against this tree, you're going to crush that young sapling. You need to protect it first. Think of it like putting a little fence around that tree and giving it time to grow organically. And it's this it's this exploratory phase that I think is missing and, and what Overlap is trying to create. It's giving you a space to do and to try and explore without the financial pressure of you need to make money from this thing right now because that ends up leading to scarcity mindset. If, if you just quit your job, you don't have anything paying the bills and you try and make this work, you're now in scarcity mindset. You've got to find the, you know, the next watering hole, you know, you're on, you're on the prowl. You, you've got to find whatever you can make. Maybe it's a client who, who would not be a good client and you know it, you see the red flags, but you think ah, I've got to take this on. Hmm. I have to, cause I've got to make the money. And it ends up being a nightmare client and you don't want to work on the pro- project, but you're committed to it. There's a contract. I mean, we've all been there and it just ends up sucking all of the joy out of your work. And, you know, you end up in a lot of cases killing the passion. This thing that you once loved becomes something that you hate. And so this day job versus the passion thing with the context of overlapping, the day job is supposed to cover your bills, period. Mm. It's supposed to cover the bills 100% to give you the freedom to say yes, to give you the freedom to say no to a bad client and not worry about not making the money. And so if you think about the day job in that sense, its job is to provide you freedom. Its job is to provide you the ability to say no in circumstances that are less than ideal. Now, the question becomes, should I look for a day job that involves my passion? And the trouble here is if you end up spending the energy you need to pursue your passion on the side at the day job, you're going to come home drained. You're going to come home exhausted And you're going to come home depleted of that kind of energy you need. So the litmus test is this. Do you come home from your day job exhausted? Or do you come home from your day job charged with the kind of energy you need to pursue your passion on the side? And many people don't even believe that there are good day jobs. If you feel like a day job is just something that is going to be horrible 
and it's going to suck all of your energy and you just have to work with toxic people and that's how it is. <laughs> You're in the wrong day job. And mm. I would say in that case, you should quit the day job. But when once you quit, you need to get another day job in place. And, and I would say find one that is outside of the industry of your passion. Because what that's going to do is you're going to be so excited when you get home to pursue this thing, you, you will have all of the energy you need. And that kind of uh, sort of leads me into this talk of, of motivation. You, you mentioned earlier about showing up every day and, and oftentimes the thinking is, man, if I could just be motivated like Sean to show up every day and just do the work for two <laughs> years, then I could, I could have some of these same experiences. Speak, if you would, to your thoughts, Sean, on some common misconceptions about motivation. Well, if you ask anyone who really seems motivated, they're going to tell you that it doesn't start with motivation. A lot of people think that motivation is this fuel. <laughs> like I'm not motivated, so I don't do. I don't take action. But motivation is less of a fuel and more of a result. So once you show up, once you start taking action, the motivation tends to come after that. And so what I recommend is starting with a commitment to show up. It's just something that you schedule. I, I, I think it's, uh, uh, I, I forget who it's attributed to or if it's maybe we're not sure who it's attributed to. You might know this one, Jeff, but it's uh, a famous writer once said, I, I write every morning at nine. You know, do you know the quote I'm talking about? Yes, yes. In fact, I think you, you reference it in the book, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. Yeah, I remember trying to find out who said it, and I, it's escaping me right now. But it says, I, I only write when I'm inspired, but fortunately, inspiration strikes at nine every morning. <laughs> and of course, they're just saying they show up, and the motivation comes after you show up. So for me, I've always been a procrastinator. I'd have three weeks to do a paper in school, and I'd still wait until the night before because I just, I don't know, I just, I just do that. And so I, I had to come up with systems to help me survive. And what I've found is getting my back against the wall by uh, creating some kind of accountability works really, really well. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I use the three P's of accountability, public accountability, partner accountability, and personal accountability. And some of these work better for some people more than others, but all three together are really solid. So public is where you tell people in your audience you're going to do something. And the reason that works is because we care about our reputation and we want to appear consistent because inconsistency is an undesirable trait. And so telling people you're going to do something tends to work well, but others of us don't find that that works. So sometimes personal and partner accountability can help where you find a peer. This is not a coach or a mentor, but someone on your level going towards a similar goal that you meet with regularly and each of you make sure the other is staying on board with their commitments. And finally, personal accountability sounds like a weird one, mm. um, but I like to use it along with partner and public accountability. So I tell myself I'm going to do something. Now, most of us don't really mind disappointing ourselves. That's why <laughs> we say, I'm going to wake up early and we don't do it. We don't follow through. But when you do it along with these other forms of accountability that work really well and you follow through for those reasons, you end up strengthening your personal commitment to yourself. So, so more, more, like, more than likely in the future, you can tell yourself you're going to do something and actually follow through with it. You're talking about motivation, following the doing and not the other way around. Probably one of my favorite episodes of, of this show to, to go back and refer to is a conversation I had with Seth Godin. 
who uh, similarly talks about belief or, or confidence as it relates to doing. He says, we don't take action because we believe. We believe because we take action. Do first, believe second. And I think that's, that's uh, sort of partners nicely with what, what you're saying here in regard to motivation. Uh, I really liked the way uh, Sean uh, lays out how he thinks about time. He sees it as a man-made construct, something to give us a sense of, of, of bearing. Uh, Sean, can you explain what you mean by that? It's, it sounds kind of weird, right? But <laughs> there really is no such thing as the, the past or the future. Mm. And we have these things because we need a sense of bearing of where we are. What, what happened before this? What's going to happen? What do we think is going to happen in the future? Just so we have some kind of context. But if you get hit by a bus, there is no tomorrow <laughs> for you. Um, and the past has already happened. It's not something that you can change. Really, the only thing you have total command over is the now. What what can you do in this moment? W- what decisions are you making moment to moment? And so if you really want something, why are you not doing it right now? Because right now is all you have. If you say tomorrow, tomorrow never comes. Now is the only time you have. But why don't we say, I'm going to do this right now? Why, why don't we actually go those places we want to go? Why don't we do the things that we want to do? And it's, it's simple because we filled our time. We don't have time because we filled it. And we're always finding time. Let me see if I can find time. You can't find time because we fill time automatically. It just happens. We, we never have a gap on, I, I'm generalizing, of course, but we never have a gap on our schedule and have someone ask us if we're available and we say no. We look on our schedule and say, I don't have any appointments at that time. Yes, I am available. And so our default mode is to fill time. Mm. And we're filling time by saying yes. And the only tool we have for creating more time is the two-letter word, no. And we think of no as this negative word. It's it's a yes is happy, no is sad, (laughs) yes is good, no is bad. I actually just, that's the first time I've said that, but I like it because it rhymes. (laughs) Yes and no are not these emotional words. They are directional. So if you think of yes and no, less like good and bad and more like left and right, you can use them to navigate your life and get where you want to go. And this this book is roughly, what, 70, 75,000 words? Is that right? Yes. Sean wrote Overlap, and I'm not giving anything away here. He mentions this in the book, over a, if memory serves, 14-day period. I would like you, Sean, to speak to the importance of developing focused time, because surely that's the only way you made that happen. (laughs) A lot of focus. Uh, It was definitely the hardest thing I've ever done, and a lot went into preparation for that. Many months leading up to it, I was developing my schedule, first starting with when do I end my day, when do I go to bed? And then when am I waking up? And a lot of us try and combine all of that together into mm. a perfect day that feels like this very overwhelming, complex thing. Like, okay, well, if I'm going to be successful, if I'm going to have my perfect day, I need to go to bed on time, get enough sleep, wake up early, make sure to work out, write a thousand words a day. And we take this as one big lump and say, I can't do it. And, and it worked much better for me to break it down into 
little habits and chaining them together. So one at a time leading up to this very focused period of a couple weeks where I wrote the book, I essentially defined my success by one thing at a time. First, it was stopping my work. Mm. And if anyone else is, uh, has workaholic tendencies like I do, uh, you, you might have some trouble there. You know, you're thinking your problem is, oh, I don't wake up early. I need to wake up early. But it's because you're going to bed late that it's hard to wake up early. And you're going to bed late because you're working late. And you're working late because you're getting up late. And there's not enough time. And it's this repetitive cycle that you have to break. You have to actually stop work before all the work is done, which is really hard to do. But you have to make a rule of it and define success by stopping work. I'm going to stop at 5 p.m. Oh, well, I, I could work a little bit after dinner. Yes, you could. But you've got to start winding down. You've got to make sure to get to bed on time. So first I said, I'm going to stop at five. And if I stop at five, it's a successful day. It doesn't even matter if I go to bed late. It doesn't matter if I wake up early. That's a successful day. And that actually took weeks for me to develop. But once I had that, I built off of it. I chained to the next habit. I started defining success by whether or not I went to bed early. Did I shut down at 9 p.m., you know, and, and brush my teeth and all of the nighttime routine? Uh, if I did, then it's a success. Doesn't matter when I wake up. Gradually, it's the wake up time. And so just chaining these together, eventually I, I built up this routine that allowed me to enter into very, very intense periods of focus where I was able to crank out as much as five, eight or 10,000 words in a day. How have you seen, Sean, the act of, of disciplined writing specifically impact your life and, and your business, the, the act of actually writing day in and day out? Well, I used to think writing was boring and <laughs> I thought only writers write mm. and I'm not a writer. So it's, it's that simple. I don't need to write. Uh, but as I started looking at all of the things that I did, be it, uh, you know, ma sending out newsletters, recording podcasts, preparing a speech, uh, working on a course, no matter what, everything started with writing. Mm. And that's when I started to realize I, I probably should hone this habit. Instead of saying, you know, oh, only writers write, I, I started to realize <laughs> that, no, you're a writer if you write. It's, it's that simple. It's kind of like people think only experts teach, mm. but it's really the people who teach that are seen as experts. It's, it's just that flipped around thing. So once I realized it all started with writing, that's why I decided to structure my day around writing as the first thing that I did. And when I look back, that's the very clear inflection point for me is when I start, when I built a writing habit consistently, and it sounds crazy to say, you know, I write a million words a year, but you know, if you do some basic math, you realize there's 365 days in a year, a million words is really only 2,700 words a day. And if you have a really good writing habit, you can do that in a relatively short period of time. It, it, it could, could even just be an hour or two of focused time. And most people in an eight hour day, they're not really getting all that much done because they're not focused. And if you can just get like even a not one 90 minute block of focus time, you can accomplish more than other people do in an eight hour day. And then the book Deep Work by Cal Newport is a great uh, 
resource for uh, digging in deeper to to the to the subject of, of focus time. Uh, and this is probably a good time to mention some of the courses that Sean has on his website. There's 30 Days to Better Writing. Uh, there's an audience building course, a value based pricing course, supercharging your writing, and quite a bit more. And we'll put links to that in the show notes. Now, Sean, I haven't really got much into parts four and five of the book, monetization in marketing. Uh, and I do have some questions I want to ask you that aren't directly related to the book, if I may. Uh, but before I do that, is there anything else from the book you want to make sure we know whether it's from those sections or anything else? I think really what I just want people to remember is that it, it's not a leap. It's a, a process. It's a transition. And so don't don't feel discouraged that you don't have it figured all out and, and don't feel discouraged that you feel like you have so many things to choose from and you don't know the right one. You can't steer a parked car. So mm. think less about taking the perfect next step and just think about movement and, and course correcting because even the wrong next step will lead you to the right next step. That, that is so uh, valuable to me and, and a message that, that I need to be reminded of. Uh, I can get stifled in you know, perfection land, something else that Sean addresses uh, in the book. Uh, and so to, to see that again uh, was helpful to me as I read it over the weekend. Uh, Sean, I'd love for you to think about a book or two that you've read uh, recently, last couple of years maybe, uh, that has had a, a profound impact on you. What books have you read that, that, that you go back to again and again that have really spoken to you and, and where you're at in your business and in your life? Without a doubt, the 10X rule mm. has been life-changing. And the, the biggest takeaways I have from this book, uh, it's by Grant Cardone, is you you start with something much bigger than you initially would have uh, given yourself a goal of. And, and you, you break it down. You reverse engineer it. If, if I told you you need to write a book in a month and you've been thinking, I'm going to get my book done this next year, it changes the way you think. Mm. What level of action would you need to take uh, if you're going to accomplish this 10x goal? And it's just it's totally a huge mind shift to you start thinking in bigger and bigger units. If you think of uh, the way I see it is like a sugar cube is a really tiny unit. And some people think in sugar cubes, some people think in $10 bills, maybe a hundred dollars is a lot of money to you. Maybe a million dollars is a lot of money to you. But I think if you see a million dollars as a lot of money, you might get a hundred thousand. You have to normalize what is big to you. Think of 10 sugar cubes in a row and 10 rows of sugar cubes. Well, now you've got this plate. And what if you stacked 10 of those plates on top of each other? Now you've got this mega sugar cube. And some people think in terms of a mega sugar cube, that's their unit. Others think of many, many sugar cube uh, pallets or boats, you know, that, that they think of a cargo ship. Once you learn to think in bigger units, you can accomplish massive things. And so this book really, really helped me out with that. I'd say the other takeaway is uh, Grant says success is your duty, fulfilling your potential. He sees it as as his duty mm. to fulfill his potential. And I really like that. And, and for more on that way of thinking, I encourage you to visit Sean's site, LamboGoal.com. That's Lambo short for Lamborghini, LamboGoal.com. I know the uh, the show associated with that goal is, I believe, on hiatus at the moment, but coming back eventually. Is that right? That's right. Yes. That's a goal about, uh, it's similar to the book, actually, mm -hmm. just taking a really big goal and breaking it down. 
I want to chat with you a little bit about your thoughts on public speaking. It's it's a question I dig into with just about every guest, as most every guest does a fair amount of public speaking. And you've certainly been doing your share of that lately. If I'm not mistaken, you're speaking at a conference coming up that I spoke at last year called the Tribe Conference uh, with Jeff Goins. You've got your own conference coming up, I think, in late September. Share a tip or two uh, for delivering uh, an impactful uh, and, and memorable public talk in your view. Well, I want to give a plug really quick to actually one of one of our speakers at Sean West Conference, Scott Birkin, his book, Confessions of a Public Speaker. Mm. It was it was the first book on speaking I, I ever read, and I credit it with my first talk not being an absolute train wreck. <laughs> uh, it's definitely saved me a, a lot. He talks about just the how it's natural to have a physical reaction to speaking in front of people and maybe having your palms sweat a little bit and feeling the butterflies in the stomach. It just, it made me feel a lot more comfortable and just was packed with really uh, great practical tips on speaking. So again, that's Confessions of a Public Speaker by Scott Birkin. Really, really great book. Uh, I would recommend Reading Minds. So if you're going to give a speech, never guess Never guess at who the audience is. Never guess at what they might be thinking. Take the time to talk to people. Uh, Obviously, you can't always do that right before a conference talk, but get to know who's going to be in the audience. Sit down, have a conversation, get on a Skype call, talk with people in chat, have a conversation with the people you're going to be talking to and, and tell them exactly what they're thinking. When you speak, tell people what they're thinking, what they're feeling, especially the things that in many cases, they haven't even articulated themselves. When you know them really well and you can speak to them what they're thinking that maybe they haven't even put into words, that's when you're going to have their attention. So my recommendation would be to do do the best you can to read minds. Well, uh, Sean uh, has been kind enough to offer the audio book version of Overlap for free, and I've got some more details for you on that in just a few minutes. But before I let you go, Sean, I'd love to ask what's what's next for you? What are you and your team working on now that you're excited about beyond the release of, of Overlap? A really big project for us, we've actually been working on it for over three years behind the scenes, is we've built this what we believe is the best community messaging system in the world. And it's called community talk. And this is essentially what has powered our membership site for many years successfully. And, uh, you know, it's got the live streaming built in and it's kind of a hybrid between real time chat and evergreen conversations. Mm. So people can easily find what they're looking for. And you don't have to deal with things like you know, Facebook's weird algorithm of you never know what it's going to show you. And there's all these notifications and things that take you away from the community. We wanted to give people their own platform for their community. And so that's something that we're working on making available uh, publicly as software that people can use. So that's that's kind of the, the future for us. I run my my own uh, membership site and you know, I'm torn between do I do I build this into the site platform and, and uh, that, that I'm using and, and force people to go somewhere else uh, to to chat with one another that they don't normally log into every day or do I do something on Facebook where they're already at? But then there's limitations, as you said, with that. And so it sounds like this may be bridging the gap in a way. Am I, am I, am I articulating that right? You're, yeah, you're totally spot on. Okay. Uh, this has been the glue to our membership. And it, it's, it's a premium experience that people mm. actually love to use. And 
it's yours. You own it. You control it. And it, it's it's customizable. It's it's like people can come back and see what they missed in the time that they were away since mm. they last logged in on the topics that they're interested in. They can zoom in and out of specific topics. They can view it all together in a threaded form. Uh, it's it's pretty exciting, honestly. Mm. Well, the book, again, is called Overlap, Start a Business While Working, a Full-Time Job. His name is Sean McCabe, and I encourage you to check him out. Links in the show notes for all the ways to connect with Sean. Sean, thank you so much for your time. This was a lot of fun, and I look forward to seeing you at the next Tribe Conference here in just a little bit. Oh, that's going to be awesome. I, I love that conference. And thank you so much for having me, Jeff. If anyone has made it this far into the podcast, um, I, I think you'll really enjoy the audiobook. We, we've done something pretty cool where we provide a link that you can use. It's just a, a feed link that you can plug into your favorite podcast app. So however you're listening to this now, you can plug that link in and instantly have the full audiobook there. No downloading, you know, MP3s and sync. I mean, we give people the MP3s, but if you don't want to have to deal with all of the syncing, it's a pretty cool experience. Oh, wow. I didn't even know that. That's cool. Well, thank you again so much, Sean. Uh, I really, really uh, enjoyed this and uh, can't recommend the book enough. Thanks so much, Jeff. As usual, if you'd like to dig in deeper to today's episode, specifically the links and resources Sean and I talked about, you can visit the show notes page created for this episode. You'll find that at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 180 for episode 180. I promised you information on how to grab the audiobook version of Sean's new book, absolutely free. You can do that for a limited time when you go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash Overlap. That's read to lead podcast.com slash overlap. If you have time today, it would mean a lot if you'd take a moment to rate and review the podcast. You can do that in iTunes simply by going to read to lead podcast.com slash iTunes. Or if you're listening via the podcast app on iTunes, you can do it right there. Otherwise, you can go to read to lead podcast.com slash Stitcher. I want to say a special thanks to BTH5486, who in iTunes calls the podcast inspirational and gives it five stars. Thank you so very much. Finally, please consider giving fresh books a try if you haven't already. You can test out 100% of their offerings free for 30 days when you go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. I am so thankful to you for taking time to listen to today's episode. That's going to do it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the next episode of the read to lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the read to lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Oh, 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 oh,